0: Ayer's on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer.
1: Well, hello, it's Richard and Linda, and we are speaking to you today from New York City. We've just entered our place where we're staying, and our key is stuck in the door, but I don't think you should... Oh, you got it. Good job. Linda just got the key out. How'd you do that, honey? That was excellent. So we are hanging out in a friend's apartment in the Big Apple, and we're on our way to the tennis tournament tomorrow, the U.S. Open, and we're just so happy we made it in time to get on the radio because we were in the Lincoln Tunnel, stuck in the Lincoln Tunnel for a long, long time, weren't we, honey? We were in there for one hour. It was
0: crazy. We've been here for two hours. We thought we'd have plenty of time to get here, but we made it by the skin of our teeth. I wish you could all be here with us because this is not just a normal apartment. It is absolutely spectacular. With gargoyles out on the balcony, three-story high windows, and um, we're
1: not going to divulge whose apartment it is, but uh,
0: no, we aren't.
1: It's one of the few apartments in New York City with 20-foot ceilings. And if you really want to see what it looks like, you're going to have to watch a television show called White Collar, which is filmed in the penthouse right next to this one. So we always appreciate it when we can come to New York City and stay in a special place. This has been a special city to us for many, many years, partly because I served my LDS mission here when I was just a wee lad of 19. And since then we've had several of our children live here. We had a daughter that went to Columbia and we just love getting back to the city. I don't think we'd like to live here though, do you? Honey, well maybe while well, yes, I did sure. live. Sure, I would
0: love to live here. Not permanently, but I would love to live here at least part of the year. It's the most fabulous, exciting city in the world. And of course we love London too, because we lived there for a while, but it is so fun to be back, and the funnest part is that we well, do have a son and daughter-in-law and baby girl living on 88th uh, and 2nd, somewhere uh, on the East Side, anyway. And they are gone; they are in uh, Switzerland. So she's actually from Switzerland, so she's gone home to see her family, and he'll be back. So
1: what do you think, Linda? Do you think do you think you would relish getting into our subject, our perennial, our forever subject of parenting and families, do you think you would do well raising a family, raising little children in Manhattan? Yes,
0: I think you can do anything you really want to. We know some wonderful families on the Upper East Side who have done a fabulous job with their families. Um, And we have a dear friend who actually um, was raised as an only child here. Um, she loved it she went to private schools and and just it's all she ever knew as a child and she turned out not only just fine she is terrific
1: well I think that it is a debate we hear a lot of as we travel around where is the best place to raise a family and boy you get a lot of strong opinions some people of course feel that the best place is rural somewhere where you can have a little land and a little space and you can move around and your kids have room to to roam and so on. Other people feel strongly that suburbs are the best place to raise kids and that you have neighborhoods and you have lots of friends and lots of play dates and you can go to good schools and so on. And other people feel it's great to raise kids in a city where they have more culture and more museums and more people around them, more diversity. Uh, So there's a lot of arguments for a lot of different places, and I think your point, Linda, is it's not so much what's outside of your home, it's what's inside your home that really makes the biggest difference.
0: Yeah, it really does. We've had an interesting experience this month of August because we ran our place up at Bear Lake and it's big enough that it can accommodate big families. And we have just been so impressed with the families that we've had in the house. Um, not only do they clean up, but they just have a good camaraderie. They have a good... And I think they come from all the rungs of life, having been raised in different situations and so on. Maybe not all. There's nobody from India or Cairo or anything like that, but... Um, but it is interesting that they have had different lifestyles, and then they meet together in the summer and have a wonderful time together.
1: Let us tell you a little about our personal, um, feelings about why, why one place is not necessarily inherently better than another place to raise children, and it has to do with our own experience. We, um... When we were first having children, we were living in, on the East Coast. We lived in Boston when our first one was born, and then we lived in Washington, D.C., the suburbs in Virginia, when our second and third ones were born. And we, were, we loved living in a place where there was a lot of diversity. But then our employment took us to Salt Lake City, and For a little while, we actually had two residences. We were in Washington, D.C. some of the time and in Salt Lake City part of the time. And our kids went to school in both places. We didn't move back and forth all the time, but we'd move every couple of years. And boy, was it a different experience because you could have walked into one of our kids' classrooms in Salt Lake City and you would have said, wow, all these kids are brothers and sisters. They all look alike. They all look like they came from the same place and indeed they did and then you could have walked into our kids classroom in in suburban Washington in northern Virginia and you could have said wow what is this the United Nations there's kids here from all over the world with all different skin tones and all different languages and all different cultures and all different uh, backgrounds and so you might say well Let's see, which is the best? Would you like your children to be around a lot of kids that are pretty much like they are and have similar values and similar families? And you could make a pretty good case for that. Or would you want them to be in a situation where everyone has a little different background, kids came from different places, did different things, had different perspectives, and you could make a pretty good case for that. But again, back to our premise is that... uh, there's always going to be advantages and there's always going to be disadvantages to wherever you live, but none of it matters nearly as much as what goes on inside of your home and the type of culture that you build, the family culture. In fact, oftentimes we tell parents that that should be the goal of every parent, every family, and it's not an easy goal, but the goal should be to try to create a family culture It is actually stronger and more influential on the child than any of the other cultures, the geographic culture, the peer culture, the media culture, the Internet culture, the culture of their school. They live in a lot of cultures, our kids do, and the best thing is if our family culture is stronger than any of those other cultures.
0: And interestingly, we all come from different cultures. Even if we come, we all live in the same city, we come from different cultures because we're related to different people by blood. And um, we've talked about this before, about how important it is to let children know what their family culture is about their grandparents and their great-grandparents, where they came from, the hard obstacles that they overcame, Maybe they didn't do well at all. Um, we have a, a one in our background who the husband left the wife after 10 children and um, and went off with an, another wife. And so it really was very, very difficult for them. But overcoming those hard things is the important part for the kids to know that this grandma went on and just did a fabulous job and so on and so on. And it just makes them more resilient, more self-reliant. And it's part of, then, their family culture.
1: Now, um, I'm just going to say a little more about New York City because we've had two two sons who have lived here recently. One of them um, had their first four. did all Were all their children born here in the city or just yeah. the first three? No, all four. All four of them were. And so here's this little family who started off living on the Upper East Side in an apartment which, believe it or not, had less than 500 square feet. Well, they In started, fact, the first one they yeah. lived in had, had about 200 square feet.
0: We get a kick out of staying with these kids when we come because the first apartment had a loft. There was just barely enough room for a king-size bed because they're king-size people. and Well, just tall people. But, um, they were so funny. We, we we were up in the loft, so we could just peek over and say hi, um, first thing in the morning. And then other family members would come. This is our tradition you now. Our youngest daughter came, and I'll never forget waking up one morning, um, and seeing all three of them in the bed. You know, uh, our son, Dr. Well, Anna, I, and I, our youngest daughter.
1: August. I have to interject, though. <laughs> Try to picture this in your mind. 200 square feet. So the the king size bed took up literally about half of the apartment, yep. and then the other half was a tiny little kitchen. And then there, when Linda says a loft, there was a little shelf up above the apartment where there was another bed, and you could sleep up there, but when you laid on the mattress and looked up, the ceiling or the top of the shelf was only about six inches from your face. And so you had to crawl in there, and if you were claustrophobic, that was not a very good place to stay.
0: It was very scary to go to the bathroom in the night but because.
1: Yeah, it was a little bathroom. But my, but my point is that they lived there and, and were, were quite happy there. And, you know, there's all those things that compensate. They were in this little cramped place, but then they could walk outside and they were close to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. They were close to the Guggenheim. They were close to Central Park. They were close to the Gracie Mansion. They were close to the East River. And, and, so, and they had culture all around them. And they had 20 ethnic restaurants within two blocks of their house, many of them very reasonable, believe it or not. Well, then they moved a little bit. They had another child, and they moved to a 500-square-foot apartment. And it, this just shows you how everything's relative. That seems so spacious to them, 500 square feet, because it was more than double the size of the one they'd been in. We need to take a little break, but when we come back, we're going to continue a little kind of an off-the-wall discussion about where is the best place to raise children. Uh, we've been kind of on the same subject the last couple of weeks on ours on the road and the subject has to do with where is the best place to raise our kids and we're kind of morphing it a little bit today into a related subject which is how to create a culture that is so strong within your own family that it really doesn't much matter where you raise your kids Linda you can raise them in you could raise them in an igloo in in Alaska, you could raise them anywhere you wanted as long as your family culture was strong and influential.
0: Um, you know, yesterday I was just thinking, we were in church and, and we have a darling girl in our congregation who is just so terrific. I see her once a month and we chat, she's a young mother. And every time I see her, she mentions that she spent the entire her entire life in Salt Lake City. And I think she's a little bit insecure about that because she said, oh, I think we should just move. I mean, you know, and she knows that we've been a lot of places in the world and and she just feels a little bit unconfident about that. And I have always said to her, you know, look at you. She actually was the speaker in the church yesterday and she did a magnificent job. You could tell she has such a good heart. And as you said, Richard, that's really all that counts if they really have the great heart and soul and and the basic things that you want your children to know how to work, how to take care of themselves, how to motiv- motivate themselves to do things that are good, that's really all you need. Where you live or how long you live there is not so important, although I'm, I do have to say that it does teach you a lot, living in different cultures and so on but it's not absolutely necessary to be a great
1: person. Well, in fact, I think another way to say that is that that one way to become a sort of broad-minded, thoughtful person that understands a lot of different perspectives and so on, one way to achieve that and one way to achieve it for your children is to travel a lot with them And, and for people whose job or financial situation allows or causes them to travel quite a lot and live in different places, there can be some wonderful advantages of seeing the world and seeing different situations from different places with different awareness levels and so on. But if you're not in that situation, if you're like this friend you're talking about, Linda, and you find that your lot in life is to pretty much live in the same place all all along, that's certainly uh, there are certainly other ways to diversify and to have education and to see things from various perspectives that don't involve travel especially in today's world where you can go on the internet and be anywhere you want in the world almost instantly and you can see and hear what's going on there you can you can read you can watch video. You can find out about how it feels to be in other places, and you can dialogue with people who are very different than you, either on social media or in other ways. It reminds me a little of um, while we lived in New England, we became enamored uh, for a time, and still are, I guess, if if we're really honest about it, with, with Henry David Thoreau. We used to go to Walden Pond, where Thoreau lived for a while, and and his goal was to get away from a lot of people where he could reflect and be with nature and so on. And what was always interesting to me is Thoreau was quite good friends with another remarkable intellect who was very, very different than him. He, He was quite close to Ralph Waldo Emerson. And Emerson was just the opposite. Emerson was one who gained his energy and his his stimulation from being around people, from speaking to people, from having big crowds of people, from interacting with lots of different people. Whereas Thoreau got his inspiration from being by himself and being somewhat isolated. And yet they were good friends and they, they intrigued each other to a certain degree. And Thoreau, just for example, said, and this is an interesting quote, he said, "'A man who travels is a fool because the whole world exists right in his own backyard.'" And, of course, he was referring to how intricate nature is and how much you can learn just from watching one insect crawl along a leaf or whatever. and and that you can apply metaphorically what you see in your own backyard, and that's a microcosm of the whole world. Emerson, on the other hand, would travel at every opportunity he got and see different parts of the world and so on. So just as these two great men had a different perspective, I think families can have equally divergent and almost opposite opinions. And some families, like the friend you spoke of, Linda, and And you know the sad thing is that the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. We know people who who do have to travel a lot because of their work and so on, and they're saying things like, "Oh man, I wish I could just stay in one place. I wish I could just live here. I wish this could just be my my permanent home. It's such a pain to travel and then you've got the same person, a little like your friend Leonard who's saying. You know, I've been stuck here in Salt Lake City my whole life. I sure wish I could get out and learn and see the world. So the key is to try to see the advantages of where your situation actually puts you rather than always wishing for something else.
0: Well, and who it is making you become. Um, It's so interesting when we go to these class reunions now and we're up to too many to announce on the radio. We have so many years that we've been out of high school. But um, every time... you're glad you didn't tell. Uh, we go back. You had a big one last year. Um, every time we go back, we find that the people who have gone away and done their thing and then come back, come back. But the ones who actually live there often don't come because they're feeling kind of sorry that they don't have a lot of stories to tell about their travels and so on, which is just so silly because they're making wonderful contributions in their communities. Uh, I have one particular friend uh, that I love so dearly. I wouldn't give anything to be more like her. And she just can't make herself come to the reunions because she feels that she hasn't accomplished as much as other people who have been out traveling. It really doesn't matter. I, I love the role, since you mentioned him. Absolutely love his writing. I read Walden. I did, you know, in high school, read through the whole thing. And then as I became a mother of several children, it did occur to me one day that... His whole thing about long time, long distances of time and solitude—he never had any children.
1: Yeah, that's, so, oh, that's so. You a, have to take he,
0: all those things into consideration.
1: You're right, but let's get back uh, before we run out of time to where we started on this show, and um, let's talk a little about New York City from a family perspective. A lot of people are horrified at the idea of raising children right in a big city like New York but fact our son and daughter-in-law they their their first child started school at public school number 71 I think it was and he just his mom would walk with him to school and it was a high-rise building and but he had a wonderful experience there, and there was a nice little vest pocket park right across the street where we used to take the grandkids quite often. I just have to stop you.
0: He had a wonderful time, except for the little girl who sat next to him. He was a bit nervous. One day she said to him, McKay, you're a loser. And McKay thought about that for a long time, went home and didn't mention it for a couple of days. Funny, finally he said to his mom, you know, the girl next to me told me I was a loser. I don't know how she knew that because, you know, I don't think I lose things very much. And, you know, you can always sit by somebody like that at school the better, whether it's, you know, public school number 71 in New York City or whether you're in Ingle, Idaho. So um, there are just always things to learn. But sorry, I do well, have to my, say, point,
1: my point was, though, that well, a lot of, their friends were saying, oh, you poor people, you get these little kids and you live right in Manhattan. They were the opposite of someone seeing the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. They were taking those kids to the children's museums. They were taking them to the, the bridges and the tunnels. They were taking them on the public transport and showing them different neighborhoods in the city. and And those kids became pretty broadly based because of the experience they had. So again, yeah. Find the advantages of wherever you live and appreciate being there rather than wishing you were somewhere else.
0: Well, oh, I do have to say that um, after they had four children, they were still living in, I think it was 450 square feet. They did make a little nursery right in the middle of their living room with walls and everything. And so the baby would have a separate place. But with four children and, you know, a master bedroom and then master, I mean, you could barely get into the bed. You had to crawl across the bed to get in. Um, when they were putting the baby in the drawer, we finally said, you guys, you've got to find a better place. You've got to find a bigger place for your family. And they moved out of San Diego. But they really hated to leave because they loved the neighborhood. They loved what the kids were learning. So no matter where you are, you just bloom where you're planted.
1: But the great thing now is they love San Diego just as much. And that's the example of what we're trying to say. Love where you are. Bloom where you're planted. Find the advantages of raising kids in whatever place you actually are and really, really just be happy that you're there. Now, uh, before we run out of time, we ought to tell you the reason, strangely, the reason we're in New York City is not to give a speech to parents. That's the reason we're in most places most of the time. But we're here just for a simple reason. We love going to the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament, and that's where we're going to go tomorrow. Maybe if any of those tennis players have kids, maybe we should help Roger Federer raise his two twin daughters.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have to say that we're also here to see our children because they congregate. Um, we have one living here, as we mentioned, but we have another daughter, a son-in-law, um, two grandchildren. and two other couples and a baby who are
1: all going to meet them all at the mini reunion and so we're on the road and we'll be back with you again next week on Ayers on the Road. Have a great week.